Well, good morning, Bethany Church. It's so good to be with you on this beautiful Easter morning. I have to be honest, when I walked outside and saw the incredible snowfall, I had to remind myself if I was preaching an Easter or a Christmas message, but thankfully I did remember. And, uh, and it's just a beautiful day. For those of you who are joining us around the world, welcome as well. And, um, and you know, Easter is one of those holidays that really as believers, we are celebrating and living out and experiencing every moment of every day. It's something that we should be practicing and remembering all the time. But it's still so special to be able to, to be able to set aside one day of the year when we can just commemorate and rest and rejoice in this incredible, truly the greatest day in history, as the song goes. Um, you know, there's, uh, there, there's a lot of traditions that we probably had when we were growing up. I know, I know that I used to go to church with my family, then we'd go outside and we'd have some kind of Easter egg hunt. Maybe you'd get a big chocolate Easter bunny, a big meal with your family. We'd go to grandma's afterward and have our cousins and aunts and uncles over. And there's a lot of tradition all around Easter, and it's super fun. But in some ways, I think that this year, of course, more than ever, it's, it's probably disrupted our traditions a little bit. And, and I think this could be a gift from God, that we would actually slow down and hone in on what the central focus of Easter really is. That some of those other things that are great and fun and probably will return next year or in the years to come, that this year we would just take that moment with our, with our families in the quiet of our homes, maybe, maybe doing a couple of fun traditions within our own homes, but to really remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus in a different way. You know, the accounts of the Gospels have a lot of overlapping details of the crucifixion accounts. There's a lot of things that are similar. But there is that one thing, and Laura has mentioned it earlier already. It's only recorded one time, and that's in the Gospel of John. And that's, that's the verse that she read. We're going to read that again. And this is where Jesus makes his final proclamation when he's on the cross. This is John 19.30, and it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine... He cried out, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. These three words, it is finished, are so powerful. These three words are packed with meaning and packed with implications for the life of the believer. Entire books have been written on these three words. Actually, in Greek, it's just one word, but whole books have been written on this. Today, I want to talk about three of the implications of what it means that it is finished. What are the things that Jesus finished on the cross? The three things that I'm going to talk about today, Jesus put an end to our subjugation, to our condemnation, and to our separation. Let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you so much that we can continue to celebrate together, Lord, from wherever we are, that, that no distance can break up the body of Christ. And Lord, that, um, that we can be celebrating in our homes and still celebrating together over the internet. We thank you for the time that we live in, that we can still somehow meet together like this. We just praise you for that. And Father, we pray that today our hearts would come alive again with joy in the gospel. That we would, that we would once again renew our first love in you. That we would remember how great and mighty and awesome you are. And that you did what was impossible outside of Christ. And so we worship you, we bless you, in Jesus' name, amen. So it is finished. The first thing that we're going to talk about that was finished is our subjugation. Jesus put an end to our subjugation. Another word for this would be slavery, of course. Now the reality is, every human being is in slavery. 
Apart from Christ, every one of us has been, or perhaps those who haven't put their faith in Christ, you still are in slavery. The Bible talks about a few different things that we are enslaved to. One is just the passions of our own flesh, the desires that we have to carry out whatever we hope for. People in our society call this freedom, actually. They, they think that it's freedom to be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want. But in reality, what the Bible shows us is that that is slavery. Uh, Ephesians 2 starts to talk about this. It says in verses 1 through 3, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In that verse, we see a few different things. We see the the passions of the flesh. We see see sin itself as enslaving us. And we see the, the prince of the power of the air. That's another term for Satan. The evil forces that govern this world. We were enslaved to all of those. And so we can actually trace back where this enslavement started. We see in the garden in Genesis 3 that once Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit and decided to separate themselves from the presence of God, decided to take knowledge and wisdom upon themselves to disobey, then a curse came in and slavery uh, began for humankind. Enslavement to sin, enslavement to their desires, enslavement to the evil one. So God comes in and he begins explaining the consequences of what's just happened. That death has entered the world. That toil and, and pain will be in, in work and in childbearing. That there would be strife between people. And then in verse 15, that there would be strife between the evil one and the offspring of the woman. So let's look at Genesis 3.15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. There's going to be this, this clash, this war that's going on. The enemy is going to continually work to enslave and keep captive humankind. But what's incredible about this passage is that God then preaches the gospel for the first time ever, right in the midst of all of these calamities coming in, all of these consequences, God himself preaches the gospel. He says, for the second half of, of verse, uh, chapter three fifteen, he says, I'll put enmity between your offspring and her offspring, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So even here, in the midst of all the pain and suffering that's about to begin, God foreseeing all of the things that humanity is going to have to go through, knowing the slavery that they're about to enter into, he says, I'm going to come and set you free. And, and this is, of course, talking about when Satan strikes Christ on the heel, that's Christ's death on the cross. His striking of the heel isn't just a little inconvenience. It was actually his life that he gave. But the irony of that is in the moment of Jesus' death, he robbed Satan from all his power. He crushed Satan's head. This is, this is something that's incredible in, in the death and resurrection of Christ, that we are freed from our subjugation the moment that Christ died on the cross. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, talks about how, how we once were slaves, but now are sons. In the last verse, it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So perhaps for you this morning, you need to remember what your faith in Christ has done in your life. You need to remember that you are not a slave to sin. 
And, and perhaps there are many of you sitting wherever you are and you're dealing with some, some serious sin issues. You're dealing with wrestles that are happening over and over and over. And you're, you're confused about that struggle. But remember, if you've put your faith in Christ, he has already proclaimed that you're not a slave to that thing. Yes, he's going to teach us to say no. He's going to teach us to walk in righteousness. But he's already proclaimed that you have the victory this morning. The second thing that Christ finished is our condemnation. The, the reality of, of our situation, a lot of times, even for believers, is that while we know intellectually that God has forgiven our sins, we know somewhere up there that, that we're right with God. Emotionally, we still live out of this need to gain God's approval. We still live out of this need to make ourselves right with him, to still atone for our own sins. In Galatians, Paul says, you who are saved in the spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Essentially, he's saying, were you saved by grace and you stay saved by your works? And his, his implied answer is, no, of course not. We are saved by grace and we stay saved by his grace. And, and so God wants us to remember today that we are not under condemnation. Romans 8.1 makes it very clear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to just unpack a little bit of what this phrase, it is finished, even means. Because, like I said, in the Greek, it's one word. That word is tetelestai, tetelestai. And it is appropriate to, to translate that word as it is finished, but there's actually another context that that term was used in in Jesus' day. When, when an account had come due and somebody needed to make a payment, if somebody paid off that account, then they would stamp or write tetelestai. What that means is paid in full. Tetelestai means paid in full. So in essence, what Jesus was doing on the cross when he spread his arms and he said, Father, it is finished. What he's saying is, Father, look on all these who are punishing me. Look on all these who have a debt that they cannot pay. And Lord, Father, I ask you to put that now on me. Credit that debt to my account and I am paying it right now on the cross. This is how Paul puts it in Colossians 3, or 2, 13 through 15. He says, God made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This debt he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So in essence, what looked like Christ's moment of ultimate shame actually became the enemy's ultimate moment of shame. God flipped everything on its head in that moment, and he said, any debt you had is now credited to Christ. No condemnation means that there's nothing that can be brought against you. No action, past, present, or future can be brought against you if you are in Christ. Um, we, we know the verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, God made Jesus who knew no sin, to become sin, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Now, this verse is, is not talking about the progressive sanctification process, which is also very important. We need to be engaged in. But actually, this verse is talking about the moment when we are credited Christ's righteousness. So I usually ask this question with that verse. Do you think it's more impossible for you to become righteous or for God to become sin? Most people, in fact, everyone I've ever asked that question, always says, of course it's more impossible for God to become sin. The one who's holy, the one who's pure by his very nature, by his very essence, to become sin. That doesn't make any sense. And yet we already know that that has happened. 
We already know from history that Jesus did that on the cross. And so now it's our responsibility by faith to receive the gift that's being given to us. If I quoted Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, I'm sorry, for the wages of sin is death. Most people, no, I was wrong. For, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but most people can't quote the very next verse. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Just as completely as we had lost everything. Just as completely as we had fallen short of the glory of God. We just as completely and just as quickly receive his grace and receive his righteousness. Just as powerless as you were to gain salvation apart from Christ. You are equally as powerless to lose your salvation once you are in Christ. The last thing that Jesus put an end to was our separation from God. Our separation. Now, Laura talked about this earlier. Matthew 5, 27, or I'm sorry, Matthew 27, 51 says this. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So this is at the moment that Jesus cries out his last breath. There's an earthquake, darkness covers the land, and all of a sudden, the temple curtain rips from top to bottom. So she explained a little bit of what this means already, but that curtain separated where only the most holy priests could go one time a year into the presence of God. That's where the presence of God dwelt on earth. That's where the, whole, the, the mercy seat was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was in that holy of holies. And what God said when he tore the, the, the veil from top to bottom, he said, I have initiated and I have completed the process of bringing you into my presence. All over the New Testament, God, is, God shows us and the, the apostles in their writings show us that we have unhindered access to Christ. You don't need somebody else to go before the Father for you. You don't need me as an elder or a pastor of Bethany to go before God for you or a priest or the Pope. We don't need that because Jesus has brought us near by his own blood. Here's a few of those verses. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And again, a, couple, a chapter later in Ephesians, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You don't need anybody to atone for you, to, to, to go before you on, on, on your own behalf, other than what Christ has already done on the cross. And, and I, I think it's really interesting, too, that sometimes we can think, well, Jesus has to translate all my prayers to God himself. Jesus has to make all my requests for me to God. And actually, Jesus, it is absolutely on his foundation and through his name that we pray, but Jesus himself takes time to clarify the the heart of the Father in John 16. This is before Jesus goes to the cross, and he wants to make sure the apostles know how much the Father himself loves them. Listen to this verse. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I come from God. Some of us, I think, think that God is this wrath monster and Jesus is simply a shield from that wrath. I can relate to Jesus. He loves me, but does the Father really love me? 
The Father and Jesus are one. What we see Christ do on the cross is coming straight from the heart of the Father. And, and God, God the Father is not begrudgingly accepting us because of the blood of Christ. He joyfully welcomes and embraces and, and brings us into his presence. He's the Father in the parable of the prodigal son who runs to the son who, who comes home. And so I want us to remember that, that God welcomes and embraces and rejoices in us coming to him. That's what Jesus did at the cross. Religion says this, I messed up, so my dad's going to kill me. But relationship says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. It remembers that, that my father is not the one who waits to just bring wrath and judgment. My father is the one who loves to comfort, to forgive, to restore. And that's what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Now, I've been talking about the, the cross so much. What about the resurrection, right? With, with Easter Sunday, isn't it all about the resurrection? Well, of course, the resurrection, it makes all of this mean something, right? Paul says, if the resurrection hasn't happened, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But the resurrection has happened. And therefore, that's God's stamp of approval saying, what Jesus did on the cross is for real. What Jesus did on the cross was from me. And this is a gift I'm giving you. And now I've highly exalted him. Everything he's proclaimed, everything he's shown you is from my heart. And so I just want to encourage us with that this morning. Also, there might be some of you who are listening to this live stream and you have never accepted the gospel. You've never fully understood what Jesus did for you, the kind of debt you had that you could not pay. The fact that he has not just done enough so that you can do better. He's done enough so that you can move from death into life. He made the dead alive. When we put our faith in him, we become alive. We become a new creation. And maybe you see the need for that in your own life right now. And so if you have more questions, if you'd like to hear the gospel explained more thoroughly, we highly encourage you to email admin at bethanychurchmn.com. And we would love to talk and pray with you and explain the gospel. Also, even if you're feeling that right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart to accept the Lord right now and today. And so... As I pray to close this, this message and as we head back into worship, I encourage you, if you're feeling that, that uh, draw from the Holy Spirit on your heart, that you would then just pray and say, God, I recognize the debt I had. I recognize that Jesus paid that debt, that you rose him from the dead, and now you forgive me and give me the righteousness of Christ so that I am fully, um, fully uh, reconciled to you. If you just pray that simple prayer, God will meet you, he will transform you, he will renew you today, and you will have salvation for eternity. So let's pray as we finish up this message and head back into worship. Father, we, we recognize the incredible realities of what Jesus did on the cross. We recognize that he did everything we could not do. Father, we thank you that we are no longer slaves to anything except for slaves of Christ, which is true freedom. God, we thank you that we are no longer under condemnation, that we are totally and, and completely forgiven, that we are justified before you, that there is no demand or, or consequence that can be brought against us. And Lord, we also thank you that our separation is over. We can come to you freely and we can fellowship with one another freely. So Father, we pray that this Easter we would remember the, the glorious realities of what Christ did that you would sink that deeper into our hearts in a different way, and that you'd help us to be transformed as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen.